Welcome everyone to the 12th edition of our live talk. Today I'm here with Odia, Gal and Nia and we are going to talk about what to expect in privacy 2024. So this will be a very dynamic session. Uh, we are going to talk about different topics. If you saw in the description, we're going to talk, talk about the hottest topics in privacy, the challenging issues that most or some companies or most companies are going to have to deal with. Uh, also personal tips that me and each one of the guests are going to share with you uh, to help you be a successful uh, person or privacy professional dealing with privacy issues in 2024. So we are going to start with introductions. Uh, uh, so you, this, I'm here with uh, three rock stars, so Odia, Gal and Ia, I'm sure you already know them. But as, as I did in previous sessions, I think uh, people's stories are, and journeys are important. So I'd like to invite the guests to share a little bit quickly about what you can share about your company and what you do and what took you to the privacy field. So what was the, I quickly tell, and, and also for those that are thinking about and starting uh, or transitioning to privacy, what was the, the, the click that you had or something that is special about privacy uh, that made you want to, to stay in this field. Before we start, make sure to subscribe to Louisa's newsletter so that you get a notice about the upcoming uh, live events and also the weekly analysis on privacy tech and AI. And yeah. So let, let's start. So let's start with Odia. Can you please uh, tell me a little bit about you, what you do today, and what took you to the privacy field? Sure. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here. Happy New Year. Um, I'm Odia. I am a partner and chair of GDPR Compliance and International Privacy at Fox Rothschild, uh, which means that I'm a partner at a law firm. So we do everything. I don't need to talk about how well we do. <laughs> um, my practice is really 100% privacy compliance. And so what I do is really I look at technology, I look at products and services and data uses and figure out what um, data privacy, data protection laws apply to it and how to go about doing it in a way that's compliant. Um, the way that, and you know, from the title, you can tell that I do a lot of US privacy, but I also do a lot of European privacy, which is increasingly coming in handy with the US laws that are modeling themselves after GDPR. Um, how did I get into this? I actually did, uh, I don't know, I think one of the first ever um, kind of uh, remote learning tech LLMs back when this was like books were shipped to my house kind of situation, but it was tech specific and it was, uh, I did a bunch of IT and telecom, but also European data protection. And so I was interested, got interested in that and started doing the GDPR piece and then kind of, um, you know, had to convince clients that in the US that this was a thing, right? Back in, in the, when they, in the US privacy was, oh, you do data breach. No. So, and what's keeping me and what I think is a tip for people that are, or a consideration for people that are um, getting into this field is that it's really very dynamic and very fast paced. And so that has, that has pros and cons kind of built into it because you can't really rest on your laurels. You, you know, rest a little bit, suddenly everything has changed. There is the FTC issued a new blog post, you know, there's a new CJU decision, and basically you're giving um, outdated advice to clients. And for me, you know, one, I'm very curious and I really like learning. And two, it's really important to me to kind of really give good advice. And so the, the plus here is that it's 
very dynamic and fast changing. And the, the pro and the con is it's very dynamic and very fast changing. And therefore, you need to keep up with it all the time. And so um, I call it privacy FOMO. And, um, and I try to contribute uh, my privacy FOMO onto the community. So I do a lot of posting of content on LinkedIn. And I welcome you guys to connect with me. Thank you. So, Nia, please. Hi, um, thanks for having us, Louisa. I'm Nia Castelli. I'm the co-founder and head of Legal for Checks. And so Checks is an AI-powered uh, compliance platform from Google. And so I've been um, at Google for about 10 years. Um, and prior to um, being a part of Checks, I was product counsel for the Google Play Store. And so, you know, I've been practicing for over 20 years, but, um, and obviously privacy is always an issue <laughs> for lawyers in some aspect, but it really wasn't until GDPR um, that I, my focus really uh, shifted uh, to privacy. You know, as we all know, it was a seismic shift. Companies were trying to figure out the law, figure out how to apply the law. Maybe they're still doing that. Um, but, um, you know, it was challenging. And, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, I'm very privacy sen sensitive, um, but on the other hand, I love technology and I'm, I'm really passionate about innovation. And so that has led my motivation to advising in this space um, because I want to make things better, right? To help us to continue to do these amazing things and um, expand technology and its uses and make the world a better place. How can we do that and still preserve privacy? So that, that has been my focus. Um, and so in the last four years, I kind of pivoted a bit um, from purely legal advising to actual product development. So along with my co-founder, Fergus Hurley, and our team, um, we've created and brought to market, we created and brought to market checks. Uh, we announced it um, publicly in 2022, um, and we're currently in closed beta. And, you know, really the reason why I decided to do this, because, you know, for the lawyers on the call, like, we're always putting out fires, right? <laughs> that's what we're focusing on. That's what we're helping. And I just, you know, during the GDPR compliance phase, um, you know, when it was first rolling out and just in generally working um, in the mobile app, app space, I saw the challenges that all companies of all sizes faced um, keeping, you know, bringing their mobile app into compliance. And, you know, as Odia said, keeping it there because it's constantly changing, right? These requirements. Um, and I thought, you know, is there a better way? Can we do something to kind of help there? And that's where uh, Checks was born. So we're really excited about um, rolling it out to general availability this uh, this year. So more to come in this space. Thank you, Nia. Gal? Thank you for having me. So um, yeah, my name is Gal Ringel. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Mine. Uh, in short, what we do, we're a data privacy and governance uh, platforms that powers uh, legal IT and engineering team to essentially automate many of their daily activities around being compliant to different privacy regulations or you know, building a very good uh, or great privacy program. Uh, our vision is to become the single source of data truth within the organization. So basically providing a real-time view of what systems we are using as a company and what types of data we keep inside. And actually, this is also what brought me to the privacy field. So my background is uh, cybersecurity. I did that for uh, more than 15 years. I had a short uh, four and a half years career as a venture, as, as a venture capitalist as well. I, uh, I invested, in, invested in dozens of startups uh, in Israel. 
And essentially, uh, I'm a data geek. Um, and when I saw the GDPR coming into life in 2018, I thought that, uh, hey, as, as, a, as a human being, as an end user, I'm using the internet all day long, and I have no idea where my data is. And I wanted to really learn what companies are doing with my data. And when I spoke with companies, I learned that a lot of companies don't have any idea what data they keep or what data they collect. Uh, and I think that I really wanted to take my cybersecurity and data experience and use it for privacy and trying to create a better, uh, I call it a better internet, but a better uh, privacy future if you would want. So this is my story. Thank you for sharing, Mia, Odia, and Gal. Uh, now, uh, I didn't say before, so we are here. I think uh, I would say the audience is 70% nerds. I'm kidding, privacy professionals. So please, I, I, I recommend, now we are going to start hardcore uh, privacy trends, uh, recommendations, and challenges. So I recommend you do like me. You have a pen and traditional, no computer, pen and paper to take notes because it's going to be dynamic and fast and uh, invaluable advice here. So if you, you have time now, so go grab traditional pen and paper to take note. And now we are going to, to discuss. So I ask uh, each one, so Odia, Gal, and Ya to be, like, let's try to be dynamic and not like, let's say bullet points or, or let's say up to maximum four minutes. And, and really, I, I know we, so, so that for, for the audience, so the idea is that you have like actionable advice. You have like, so we, you saw, you heard now the journeys in the story. So we come from different backgrounds. I, I forgot to, to introduce myself. So, so my story quickly. Uh, so my, my, I, my connection to privacy, I, sorry, I forgot that. So it all begins very academic, my master's. I was doing my master's at Tel Aviv University. And then I had two courses in privacy. And I said, wow, this is really different and interesting, from, from, mostly from an academic perspective, really deep, new and interdisciplinary. And I've always loved interdisciplinary uh, topics. And then there came an opportunity for a PhD in privacy, which it was like sponsored by the European Union, something very international, very interesting to, to I'm as a lawyer, I was going to be interacting with engineers. So it was everything, very, everything that I like traveling and interdisciplinary. And then I started my PhD, like hundred percent, it was a privacy and us, so privacy and usability. And then I, that's what my story. So that's why I started writing a PhD in this project specifically about privacy. And then I really dive deep. And, and then I wanted to do more than a PhD and then a newsletter and these talks, everything. So my, 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 my story is different. So what I wanted to share is that you see here, so Odia, Nia, Gal and me, we have different journeys, different points of view, even though everyone is more or less, let's say, in the privacy field. So working somehow with privacy, we see things from different angles. So that's why I think it's very rich for you in the audience, because you can you see the, how probably I think there are going to be some intersections, but we, we see things differently. So we have different occupations within privacy. So I think it's going to be an important advice to all of you. So pen and paper ready. Let's start now with Nia. So Nia, what is, uh, for in your opinion, what are the hottest privacy topics in 2024? And why do you think they are going to be uh, impactful, especially yeah, for privacy professionals and companies? Yeah, here with you. Yeah, I think no one's going to be surprised that I'm going to start with AI, <laughs> right? Not sure we could could even address this topic without that. But I think more specifically, I think the thing that was um, 
that I've kind of honed in on, you know, you talk about the nerds and all of us, right? I think we're all privacy and some of us legal legal privacy nerds, but um, the, the use of public personal data and foundational models and what does that mean and where do you get it and all of the different concepts that, that fall into that, not just privacy, obviously there are other legal um, considerations, but I think, you know, from a true nerd perspective, I think that's going to be an exciting area, whether it's making the argument for the use of it and why it makes sense and why it's okay. Or, you know, if that doesn't work, um, finding ways to ensure that it can still happen so that we can continue to produce, um, you know, the amazing, um, you know, outcomes and, and continue to advance this technology. So I think that's going to be a, a big topic. Um, I don't know how many you want me to share, but I'm going to do one more. Um, and I think another big topic uh, and one that I'm I don't want to say concerned about, but, you know, worried a little bit is, you know, the rush to enact AI legislation, related legislation, and how it will impact privacy legislation. I think we've had been having this constant, you know, speaking from a U.S. perspective, uh, you know, many of the states, you know, are rolling out their own versions, and we're still hoping at some point for a, a combining federal approach um, to privacy. But, you know, is there just going to be a change in re refocusing on this? And is that going to make, um, you know, privacy regulation more fractured and more difficult to, to understand and comply with and um, ensure that you're, you're um, approaching this properly? I think that's going to be, be a big topic to see, you know, how um, regulators are approaching this. So if we would say two bullet points, it would be... Uh, AI, so issues, uh, privacy issues in AI, and also uh, regulating AI, the rush to regulate AI. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. So, and you, Gal, what would be your uh, hot privacy topics for 2024? So, uh, I, I went to the immediate suspect as well, which is AI. Uh, I decided to tackle that from two different angles. One of them is uh, similar to Nia. So, essentially, the upcoming uh, AI regulations, so the first uh, AI EU Act and the White House also um, um, published like a framework for that. So I'm I'm excited to see what that would bring. Uh, essentially, uh, around that, I know that uh, we're already speaking with different GCs, and uh, many are trying to understand, you know, what to do with that. There is uh, I don't want to say panic, but there is some sort of uh, uh, a lot of question marks, like what to do with that. Uh, I would focus for 2024 on um, trying to come up with practical um, activities that we can do in order to prepare for that, uh, whether it's understanding what AI assets we have within the organization um, and understand the risk around it. This is something that we can really understand. Uh, and the other side of the AI that I wanted to raise is Basically, how can we leverage a, uh, AI or Gen AI as a privacy uh, differentiator? So how can we use Gen AI to boost some of the privacy activities or even to even build a better privacy program or a more comprehensive? And one example that I wanted to take from other fields is the co-pilot uh, example that uh, many um, other use cases of, of Gen AI is to do some sort of a co-pilot, which is some sort of a private chat GPT or privacy assistant, if you would want that, you know, we can train him on different uh, company data related to the privacy program. And then we can start communicating with that uh, co-pilot uh, to ask questions around uh, the privacy program or even to uh, perform tasks uh, instead of us. So this is like, uh, how can we leverage Gen AI to our benefits and not 
afraid of that. And I think the other trend, which is started last year and I think would get stronger this year, is how can we shift left privacy to engineering? I think that uh, many, uh, the, the same as it happens in the security space, and again, this is my background, so uh, things that happen there usually goes to other uh, fields, especially privacy, but how can we train and educate engineers to think about privacy when they are writing the code, uh, whether it's within cloud environments or any other things, and uh, while they are writing their algorithms, even AI algorithms or just the software in general, how they, can we train them to think about privacy practices when they are writing the code and not afterwards. Thank you, Gal. So it was your three bullets, if we would summarize, would be AI in general, and then leveraging AI for privacy and then shifting privacy left. So now, now Odia, you're you're in the in a more you can say AI too, but you're I I just put you in the last one because Odia in the backstage she told me she had a very long list, so she was the one uh, she can uh, attack back if she has. She yeah, has I had any. redundancies in case of failure, so I'm not going to do AI. Um, so I, I'm going to go with the following. The first thing I think is this: the concept that's going to be big is going to be um, sensitive information and various uses of sensitive information. So sensitive information, first of all, um, genetics, uh, genetic data. We've seen the recent. Um, you know, aftermath of uh, the security incident in this space, the FTC issued a blog post on Friday highlighting its expectations and reiterating the fact that it's going to enforce um, facial recognition and biometrics. We saw the FTC right aid decision from a couple of weeks ago that is also, you know, the use of biometrics by AI and all of the issues, including bias and, um, and the reliability of the AI and vetting third-party vendors, um, facial recognition, um, and then location. Uh, we are the, there's an ongoing uh, litigation, but the FTC versus Cojava with respect to sensitive locations, and increasingly in the post Dobbs laws, right, the significance of location. So I think sensitive information. Um, with the heightened requirements attached to it under U.S. laws, right? The the requirement for consent or opt out, the requirement for a DPIA um, is going to be uh, a big deal in 2024. I think a second one is employees and employee surveillance. So this concept, this a little bit dovetails also into AI, but the concept of employees and employee surveillance specifically with the aid of AI or not, uh, seems to be an issue of um, uh, that is a, there's a lot of attention to, both in the Biden executive order that Gal mentioned, um, also in the draft automated decision-making regs from California. They're specifically talking about using AI for surveillance. There is a New York City law with respect to AI and hiring. So I think employee hiring, promotion, surveillance, and the data protection ramifications of that are going to be important. Um, and then finally, just which is, is CCPA enforcement. So, you know, the CPPA got the green light to start enforcing in July. The regs are coming out of hibernation with the injunction in March. Um, the attorney general, they also, they're all in, started enforcing um, the CPRA. And so because we're going to see we're going to see these enforcements in 2024. We haven't actually seen them yet. And so I think that's going to be a big deal uh, because we're going to get some 
um, one, you know, some kind of Richter scale reporting, but also kind of lessons learned and things that companies can focus on. Thank you, Odette. So we have sensitive information, so genetic facial location, employee surveillance, and enforcement, so CCPA, CPRA, amendment, etc., and other types of enforcement. And so my case, I will just, uh, I want to bring AI, but just to specify some uh, subtopics within AI, I don't think we, we neither uh, God spoke. So first, the, this one, so Nia spoke, the, the idea of Article 6 of GDPR, so lawfulness of processing. So for those not aware, Article 6 talks about you have to have a, a legitimate cause to process data according to GDPR. So is I think in my view, and I've spoken a lot about that, it's unclear still we can, uh, AI training can be legitimate interest. And even if it can be legitimate interest, so how can we be transparent and fair when we are communicate that to, communicating that to users? So I think this... Uh, one thing of uh, AI and privacy, and also uh, privacy infringement. So how do you communicate with to users that they can be infringing other people's privacy when they use the output of uh, ChatGPT or any other uh, AI application? Also, AI companions, I think it's a fascinating topic. And, and I had this conversation with Professor Rio Kelo. So all those replica and uh, character AI, so children talking with uh, those AI companions and what are the privacy implications? So legislation, mm -hmm. privacy legislation uh, for children is a bit more strict. So, and there will be all types of exchange of sensitive data with AI. So how, how is going privacy is going to deal with that. We had a case of uh, the, the Italian data protection banning replica and then didn't ban anymore. But now there are this, these applications are super popular and, and I've always, I check them in uh, Apple store, etc. and they're, they're growing. And I, I see a lot of uh, data protection issues there. Uh, so one is AI and the other one that I think it's super important and maybe because maybe I'm biased because I pay a lot of attention to that and I teach that and, and the bootcamp is about that too. So dark patterns and not only uh, in, in so dark patterns have been trending since at least 2022. So it's not new, but if you think what well, some changes, so you see AI and advertising are, 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 are bringing new challenges and with them, we can have also dark patterns related challenges. So we, we so there's going to be, uh, there's going to be no more uh, third part cookies in Chrome until the end of the year. So how are those new forms of behavior advertising work out and how do, can we think about designing and, and being fair and being uh, uh, transparent with users? So I think uh, both AI and advertising, because of the changes that are already happening, I think they are going to be also design related, so dark patterns related challenges. So this would be my issue. So AI, the specific issues of privacy in AI and dark patterns. So the second topic of today, uh, so we spoke about the hottest privacy topics. Now I think it's an, another very important one. And, and I, I think I will put together the, the two next topics. So what will be the most challenging privacy issues for business? So not the, the hottest, but the ones that, the ones that businesses will probably have difficulty navigating. And so this is the first part of the question. And, and the second part is how do you, how do guests will recommend that companies can deal with it? So I, I'm putting together the, the, one, the next question. So the, the main challenges and what would be your tip to, to privacy professionals and companies on how they can navigate? So now let's start with Odia. So I think that, I mean, from what I'm seeing companies struggling with, um, I think that 
Uh, one struggle that I think hopefully is going to be less for us and um, is that we we lawyers are going to have and privacy professionals are maybe, maybe going to have less of a struggle um, convincing companies that this is an important thing because this like part of selling selling what we do and why has been a constant part of my practice and has not been a constant practice of the people that do exactly what I do in the, in Europe. Right. So this like prerequisite of no, no, because I, we, I had conversation with colleagues and I said, Oh, this is going to be really good. This decision. Cause I can use it as ammo. Cause I've been telling clients to revise their privacy notice. And I'm like, no, we don't need a deep dive. I'm like, yeah, you really do. So this concept, they're like, Oh, you need to do that. I think this is going to be less and the and and because because of the what, what we mentioned, which is the enforcement is going to be the FTC enforcement. We're already seeing we're going to see a lot out of California. We're going to see some things that are going to be incurable in Colorado, Connecticut, et cetera. So we're going to see enforcement. So I think we're, we're the more companies are actually, you know, um, understanding that there is a challenge, the more the challenges become apparent. So, you know, when clients don't turn to me for things, you know, I could think that, hey, this is fine, but it's not fine. So, for example, VSARs or commute consumer requests, I think that's going to be a big challenge. I think it's definitely going to be an issue once the once we see the results of the employer sweep out of California, we're going to see a bunch of stuff happening with employers because suddenly employees are going to be like, oh, this is nice. And I think that there are a lot of companies in the U.S. that have never really dealt with this situation on Moss. I mean, they have dealt with it because, you know, the labor laws give you rights. But, you know, nobody really paid it. Not a lot of people paid attention to it. So I think that's one either on the employee side or the consumer side. We also know this dovetails with enforcement priorities because the regulators have said that they're focusing on do not sell and on delete. So that we're going to see enforcement, we're going to see a ramp up. So I think that's one big challenge. The other challenge that I'm going to say, because I'm going to leave the AI to everybody else, but the other challenge that I'm going to name is the DPIAs. I think that um, uh, companies really, you know, you don't know, um, you don't know what it is until you've started to do one and it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of questions and we send, we talk about this with clients and we get answers like, oh, can we just have a generic answer or can we just take to say this generally or, you know, or my, my, one of my favorites is which other vendors did you consider for this technology? We didn't uh, consider anybody else. Um, things like that. Like these are things I think that are going to flesh out a lot of the issues in the processing, a lot of lack of transparency and silos in companies, a lot of lack of cooperation and lack of transparencies from vendors, right? Um, because we're still not, you know, I literally had one vendor tell a client, you know, the DPAA is your problem. Like, I can't do it without the information. What do you expect me to do here? Um, so I think that is going to be, uh, that's going to be a challenge. And I think it's, again, it kind of corresponds with the AI stuff because a lot of the new um, things that are heightened risk are AI. So you need to do these risk assessments for AI. And I think that's going to be a big challenge. Thank you, Odia. So now, Gal? So I chose uh, something uh, basic. I chose data mapping. I think that uh, every conversation that I'm having with any anyone within the organization, whether it's legal, privacy, IT, engineering, security, anyone, everyone is talking about uh, data mapping. For me, data mapping is two folds. 
Um, step number one is, as an organization, we need to know what we're dealing with. So essentially what systems we have within the organization. A system can be any SaaS app that we're using or any uh, asset that we have within our cloud. So whether it's a database, a data lake, a storage bucket, or any uh, uh, email marketing system, CRM, HR system, payment, chat GPT, whatever. So finding these systems, it's, it's very hard. Um, and the second uh, part of data mapping is after we know what we're dealing with, we need to scan these systems and really understand what types of data we keep there. And I think that that, you know, doing that is the fundamental or the key pillar that serves different stakeholders within the organization. And I think that the, the most challenging part is not just doing that, is having that updated real time and continuous. So surprisingly, uh, many of the companies that, uh, that, that that we're speaking with are still doing that the manual old fashioned uh, spreadsheet questionnaires way, which has uh, three major problems. One is a coverage problem. Second is an accuracy problem. And most importantly, the third problem is that it's very static, meaning we did that data mapping exercise today and we are happy, but the next morning, um, someone within the organization can use a new vendor or existing vendor can start collecting new personal data and no one knows about that. Uh, and I think that uh, just to give interesting statistics, uh, anytime that we help companies automate that data mapping approach, uh, for the average organization of 1,000 employees, we typically find 1,600 systems. Again, a system can be SaaS or any cloud asset, which is insanely high. And what is more surprising is that 40% of that number, so 40% out of 1,600, which is more than 600 systems, were unknown, right? Or as we like to call it, uh, a shadow IT. Uh, meaning there's, the, the, there are 600 systems that no one knows about. They didn't go, get into the DPIA that, that Odia uh, uh, talked about or didn't really handle uh, in, in the DSR process. Uh, so I think that uh, as, as, a, as a true challenge, having that data mapping real time and continuous and automated, which this is like the important part is the key pillar that unlocks anything else within the organization. So whether it's DSRS, DPIA, ROPA, uh, even, even AI related uh, things. So I think this is the, the key part and, and how to do it, I think just automation. I have no... I, I haven't found any other way in, you know, doing that um, quicker or, or, or like uh, easier. So I think that if we can automate a lot of the daily repetitive and manual tasks around the heavy lifting of doing data mapping, we can really power and unlock all the other challenges or all, all the other requirements that we are obligated by different laws uh, to do. So I think this is, uh, I try to choose something very basic. Thank you, Gal. Now, Nia? So I was going to go a different way, more AI and how difficult I think the biggest issue will be about the myriad of regulation, right, in the privacy space and how do you comply with that. But I wanted to go back and like my third bullet point for like the most, um, the hottest issues is what I hope will be a hot issue, which is children's privacy. I think we saw, you know, the announcement in December about um, the uh, COPPA's uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, and I will say I 
expected. I had hoped for more <laughs> robust um, guidance and information in that space, given how much um, feedback was given and all of the, the hearings that were done and, and input that was provided from the public. But I think there were enough changes in here that um, are things that uh, you know companies need to stand up and take notice. Um, and sort of going to what Gal was talking about, like the point about now there's heightened requirements around disclosure and use of persistent identifiers. If you don't know what's happening in your systems, right, in your mobile app or in other places, um, it's difficult to ensure that that's happening. Um, or even just being, you know, what Odio was saying, like trying to, you know, advise your clients to ensure that they're updating their privacy policies because now there's a, um, a heightened requirement about being more clear about your retention policies, right, with respect to children's data. Um, but coming back to, you know, what I focus on, which is in, just like Al, you know, how can we leverage technology to make these things um, you know, easier, simpler, and actually improve the likelihood you're going to comply? Because in order to protect children, you actually need some of their data, right? So it's a Hobson's choice, like how do we actually do this? Um, but you know, I think that there are opportunities for um, you know, for us to leverage or these advancements in technology to make this. Um, possible in a way that preserves the privacy of children, but help, helps companies get to where they need. Because, you know, as a mom, I want my kids to be able to use technology and not have to sacrifice, um, you know, their data or more than data than they want to. Um, so anyway, I hope um, that is a hot topic. And I think it will be a challenge too, because some of the expansion under the proposed rulemaking, I think, especially around evidence of child directedness and, you know, three and four-year-olds are using everything, right? Technology pads, apps, et cetera. And so what does that mean for, you know, child adjacent, um, I'll say it, um, types of um, companies, products, services? Um, and, you know, what does that mean for you? And I think I will say it, the last thing I want is for, you know, companies to do less um, in terms of providing this, because I do think it's a positive um a uh, positive experience for children technology can be right and all that it offers so we don't want that there to be a, a contracting of of services offered um, to children but you know this is hard and it's risky um and i think and you asked like you know what can businesses do to prepare i said this along with like the other point i wanted to make about you know just there's so much regulation right um you know whether it's just in the privacy space you know and like um, you know, the states, as I've mentioned, continuing um, to expand. You know, I think we started um, the year with five states <laughs> with enacted laws and we're ending with around 20. Um, so it's it's happening quickly. And thankfully, you know, there's there's only small, there tend to be only small differences. And I think in terms of how um, companies comply is looking for, you know, the overarching framework and applying those, right, um, of what's required. But um, it's still difficult to track because it's changing. So, you know, as Gal said, you know, levering technology um, like, you know, our products that can allow you to see across the board what you're doing, what's required, and, you know, more focused on what still needs, what gaps you still need to feed, I think are the best way to approach this because spreadsheets just, <laughs> they aren't going to work at some point. They get outdated. They, you know, they get voluminous and then they're not even useful. Um, and then when we add AI on top of that, well, which clearly will have, uh, you know, we've seen with the EU AI Act, you know, privacy implications. So it's another level, layer 
of um, of requirements that are tacked on, or even like you know, like Washington State passing um, the My Health My Data Act that Odie alluded to. You know, like there, it it incl- it's focused on you know sensitive data, but their privacy implications. And we think about biometrics. So you may not be in the health space, but you still have um, data that may have these you know that may trigger these um, regulatory requirements. So it's tough and it's challenging. And so, like I said, uh, my recommendation would be to look for uh, tools, you know, platforms, you know, things out there that can help make this easier. Thank you. And yeah, so before I share mine, I am happy to see that we are all sharing like pro technology uh, opinions because privacy professionals sometimes have this reputation of being anti-technology it will be everything no results or anti-ai and that's not the way and that's that doesn't need to be like that so i I like that that i heard a lot of uh uh, using like leveraging technology i think it's interesting i also i'm in this sense pragmatic and i i believe in that also from my perspective some of the it's aligned with what nia and odia said about the, the challenge of keeping up with the regulatory background and if we think and and Yo was mentioning the, the the state law. So let's if you if we remember 2016 was the the big thing was the GDPR. Wow, let's focus on this new text, and and new consent and new principles. And and then now fast forward, it's a lot. If you compare the number of laws we had the ten year or less than ten years ago with what happens now and, and the speed, and not all. And so and there are two two aspects of this complexity. First is the amount. So we have not only uh, privacy now ai in, in to some extent it will intersect so ai act and also other forms at least especially in europe uh, that other forms of tech regulation that will have privacy intersection so the dsa the data act um also uh, so we were talking about the numbers so the state laws there will be probably more more laws this year in the us so all over the world there is this pressure not only regulate privacy but regulate ai and not only laws, so we have uh, best practices, uh, industry standards, ISO requirements, reports, and to some extent. So, if, if what we are seeing today with AI, so we don't have many examples, and, and the AI Act is not into force; uh, didn't enter into force yet. And we have reports, so everybody is guiding themselves with uh, certification and ISO and reports. So it's, it adds new layers of complexity, where being Compliant, being privacy compliant doesn't mean only loss, means keeping up with reports and standards and best practices. I think it's also in, in breadth and, and also in different types of layers of complexity. Uh, in terms of uh, how to prepare, and it's also connected to what Mia said, I think it, it, there's a lot of interdisciplinarity. As maybe you're not a health uh, health tech company, but you have biometric, or probably you have bio, some sort of location, biometric, sensitive data, children's data. So interdisciplinarity and also in, in, in terms of design and, and the topic, one of my favorite topics, dark pattern and how privacy is, is also connected to product and design. So I think it, it also shows that companies should think of privacy. And I think also this is changing already. What I would say now is not necessarily as it was in 2016. I would say it's privacy was very much associated with the legal department. So a legal person that will learn privacy laws and will advise about privacy. So it's changing and it's getting so more and more. I see companies having like privacy people, not necessarily lawyers speaking with product teams on a daily basis. This is essential because 
uh, and if we think about our patterns and design, this is obvious. When you're designing an interface, if there will be interaction with the user, there will be potential uh, privacy issues. And a product person will not necessarily, before the product person did not have to know anything about privacy. And today I think, and maybe I'm biased, but I think uh, all departments should have some notion of privacy. So in, in, to some extent, everyone should be, everyone in tech should be, uh, should know some much more about privacy than, than it would be expected uh, five years ago or 10 years ago, because of this interdisciplinarity, because of this idea of privacy by design and, and, and embedding uh, privacy into the design from the beginning. So how are you going to do it if uh, you need a legal department or someone from the privacy department? So it needs to be much more uh, spread on the company. And I, and I think slowly, as at least big tech is, is, is I, I see that when I talk with larger companies, they, the structure of privacy teams is much more spread and, and within every department, which I think it makes sense. And it also helps to implement uh, and it facilitates the way uh, when, when you're talking about uh, privacy compliance. So I think in so how to the, the pragmatic aspect. So is this idea of spreading privacy, not only one privacy department, but help training and helping people to understand how privacy affects their department. So I'm always obsessed with that because I think that's how we add systems to compliance and it, it will help. Uh, it will help uh, avoid hopes that you didn't see it or nobody noticed, nobody thought that it was relevant or there is a hole there. And perhaps as Gal was saying, perhaps that mapping will help, but maybe if if you you invite everyone to, to this privacy discussion, it will be better. So this this is, this is my point of view. So for now, for, for our last question today, so what is your personal tip for privacy professionals who want to navigate to enter 2024 successfully? So less about companies and uh, about what companies should do or legislation, but more about the people. So people here in the audience, so I, I guess, from what I saw in the comments and, and, and when, uh, when I saw people commenting the LinkedIn event, people, most people here are privacy professionals. So what would be like from privacy professional to privacy professional? We are here, as we saw, Odia, Nia and Gal, and me, we are from, we have different perspectives. What would be your personal tip to help them navigate successfully? So let's start with Gal this time. So you mentioned not something related to uh, technology, something. No, it can be just not fo focusing like from person to person, not like to the business, you know, like to the other person. Got it. I think that the main challenge that uh, I'm seeing is how can we leverage the entire organization to work towards privacy? Uh, unfortunately, and this is something that I'm trying to change every day, is prioritizing privacy activities any type of activities within the organization is very hard, right? Because privacy is not considered yet as a revenue generator, right? Uh, we need to take engineers, we need to take IT, we need to take security, we need to take a lot of resources from the organization to build the infrastructure or to develop all kinds of tools or things to really help meet with different requirements by the law. And unfortunately, it's very even. It, it's even more um, harder to convince the leadership, the management. Uh, and and uh, I think that uh, what I'm taking is uh, what I'm like recommending is if we can drive a better discussion within the company. And as a CEO, I can say that it has to come from the leadership, from the management, and even from the board to start talking about the importance of you know privacy 
and the importance of different activities that we need to apply within the organization. Again, I, I will keep saying that data mapping, but you know that data mapping behind the scene is to create a, a one source of data truth. So as the company grows, a lot of different teams dependent on understanding what types of systems and data we have within the organization and why should each one of them create their own, you know, their own view for it. Let's all work together. Let's all collaborate together on creating, you know, one place that we can all leverage and, you know, count on and, and take it then. And each one of us can solve different, you know, business pain points. But I think it's all start with, you know, um, um, convincing, you know, the importance of privacy and, you know, um, treat privacy as a real differentiator, as a real brand uh, differentiator, as a trust elevator, and not as a compliance, you know, checkbox that we need to do. Um, I, I keep hearing that let's do the, the, the minimal effort, right? Or the best effort that we can get and, you know, uh, move on to do other things. I think it has to be more than that. Thank you, Gal. Nia? Yeah, plus one to everything Gal said is about this. I think we have to be like part of this great network we have um, in the privacy space is sharing best practices about how do you to doing exactly that, right? Like how can we make the case that's compelling because at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. So whether that has been what we've talked about today, which is, you know, bringing in um, technical solutions that allow these things to be done more efficiently. Um, and, you know, and therefore we can show how with less effort or minimal effort, we can get to greater compliance, right? And the benefit being, as you mentioned, Gal, that, you know, we can position and market, you know, you can position and market your um, company as this is a differentiator in the fact that you have these robust practices in place and your customers, clients can have confidence um, that you're doing that. And we know, you know, with the constant changes that are happening, tr transparency is the hallmark. You're going to have to be able to communicate um, to your customers, your external stakeholders, what you're doing and and um, and why you're doing it for, and be held, and you're going to be held accountable because you know there is this uptick in enforcement that's coming, not just for the big guys, but for the small folks too. Um, and so it's just a matter of time. So you want to start doing this and pushing this so that your company can be best positioned to not be on the back foot and be able to succeed in the face of this. Um, and I think, you know, for the people themselves, you know, my uh, tip was going to be um, read, read and read some more and also listen um, to podcasts because things are changing so quickly, like monthly even at times, you know, whether it be the changes in the technology and what, you know, folks are using um, and the companies are bringing to market the changes in the laws, um, but even more so the change in the focus of the day. I think, I don't know if in 2022, maybe we thought we would all be so hyper-focused on AI. It's not new, <laughs> but we didn't know that everyone was going to start talking about it and you know, regulations and best practices and, and questions were going to be be focused on this. So it's just really important to include that, you know, in your daily practice. Um, and podcasts like this are a great way to do that. Thank you, Nia. Odia? Okay, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> wrap it up. So I, the first thing I want to say is, um, so I'll plug, you know, I'll plug Privacy Council after what Neo was saying. So it's really important for you to know what's going on, but it's really important for you to have 
counsel that knows what is going on, but is able to interpret it and help you foresee what's coming down the pike in order for you to be able to have preventative compliance, um, which ties in with what God was saying. Like the checkbook, the box thing is a disaster anyway, but it's really important that you get sophisticated legal advice because the unsophisticated legal advice of here are 15 laws that are going to go into effect in 2024, like ChatGPT can tell you that. How does that, what do you need to do now? Which, how do you prioritize? What's a big issue for you is really important. Um, the, the other thing that I'm going to say is because I'm a big fan of um, Stoic philosophy and Ryan Holiday, I'm going to have a courage theme for my takeaways, both for the company and for the individual. So I think for companies, I think on the courage theme, I think you need to, one, um, you need to have a strong privacy advocate. Like you need to have a CPO or, you know, chief privacy counsel, et cetera, um, who is, you know, frankly, like both knows what they're doing, but has a, the, the, a strong personality in order to, you know, be heard. So the company, you know, implements it. Um, and you also need to create a system of accountability in the company, right? If it's not in the company culture, then you can have the best, you know, CPO ever, but they go to the CEO and say, like, no, that's also not going to work, right? The other piece, which is also courage and ties with what both God and Nia were saying, is I have in my notes, don't shy away from the mapping and the clarity. I have clients that just, it's like, you know, it's like my, my daughter's, you know, the corner in my daughter's room that like is going to take four hours to sort through because it's such a mess, right? So you're like, oh, I can't touch that unstructured eight hour. Oh, I can't touch the, you know, do not sell. Did we separate all the sales and shares or, oh, we can't, like, don't, don't shy away from that and don't kind of gloss it over with kind of vague language in your privacy notice, because guess what? The regulators are looking at your vague privacy notice. They understand it's a patch and you have a mess underneath and you're going to get an enforcement action. So I think that's one, that's, those are two for the companies. And then for people, I think, and people were asking about, you know, careers. I think that generally speaking, you should find, you know, you should, you know, choose this if it's, chosen you right if it really speaks to you and you're passionate about it but um just generally in your practice when you're practicing i would say you know be humble on the one hand so like don't be driven by ego and like what would people say but also be courageous right like you it's really important to me and i do this in my in my work and it's you know i i want to do the right thing and you should do the right thing and the right thing, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, zero risk tolerance. That's not. There is, companies have to have some sort of risk. But you need, you know what the right thing is. So you need to do the right thing. And if the, the if you're outside counsel and the client doesn't want to do the right thing, you need to tell them that they need to do the right thing because there's going to be consequences. And if you're in-house counsel, you also need to make sure that they're doing the right thing because, and we said that, one, because it's the right thing and the right thing should be what we should all aspire to. But also, if that doesn't speak to you, it's because you're going to get an enforcement action with a 20-year timetable on it with the FTC. And that's really going to screw up your differentiating, right? So do it for that reason. Thank you. I love the touch of stoicism for this talk. I, I'm not familiar with this uh, author. I saw that it's been posted. I, I need to check it out, right? You've been uh, really. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. I need to check it out. 
from my side, I'm going to go. So the one is similar to what Nia said a little bit. So about reading and being, and I think you privacy people cannot avoid it anymore. So that's one of the reasons that I write the newsletter. So really you have to have a broad look into what's going on and have, so I, I, I would say being off topic here, I, I think privacy professionals should be very organized and have systems. So a system, maybe like Odia waking up 5 a.m. I'm kidding. So, uh, but but really the, the systems thing, like you you need to find a way to follow, what, follow what's going on. You can't avoid it. Maybe other careers when you work with some type, if you work with some type of law or maybe tech, Privacy, you can't avoid like following up what's going on. So news, my newsletter is one example. There are uh, IAPP newsletters are good or other. For example, newsletters are a good way, podcasts. And yeah, mentioned community. So being in touch with other privacy professionals, there, there's this even joke, the privacy talk, privacy people getting get together and they talk. But it helps because it's a lot of pressure. And I don't think you can avoid that. There is no way to be like good and up to date if things are changing so fast. So my off topic, uh, suggestion would be system. So whatever uh, suits you. So waking up early or having groups of privacy people, community or newsletter, podcast, whatever suits your routine, you, you need to have systems to help you digest everything that is going on. Uh, and also this idea of interdisciplinarity. So it, especially from a legal, as a lawyer and someone who went to law school, we tend to see things like in a box. So employment law, copyright law, and, and, and different boxes of law, and you specialize in one field. And and privacy is really not that. It's, it's getting more and more interdisciplinary. And we see that with uh, the design thing. And, and, and when when you need to, when if you're, you're a lawyer, you need to know a bit about design and interfaces and tech and how you talk about consent. And okay, it's consent informed. Okay, you know the GDPR, but you need to know consent management platforms. How are they implemented in practice? What can be the legal problem when you're implementing tech? So it involves, uh, it, it requires a very interdisciplinary brain. So I think for, uh, as the question was, so in 20, 2024, and also with AI coming, and, and you need to be fluent in tech. I, and I, I think it's like, if even if you are talking about privacy, you need to be uh, a, to, not, not an engineer, not a, a machine learning developer, but you need to talk about AI with certain fluency. So I think you should, people, privacy people, privacy professionals should try to also uh, look for interdisciplinary so training or resources that help you understand and and talk about and, and when your client asks and if you're a lawyer or if you're a, a, a DPO, if you have to, to discuss with internal stakeholders about privacy and, and privacy tech, you need to have that vocabulary or, or to, to not speak like, okay, chat, AI is okay, chat, GPT. It's not enough anymore. I don't think it's a, an excuse. So you need to go a, bit, a little bit deeper. So I think it's a, it's a good tip for 2024. If, you, if you're not such a techie person, this is the year to be more techie because it's getting deeper into the technology. So as we talk about privacy by design, privacy embedded into design. So if you're a privacy person, I think you're going to uh, be well, <laughs> if, uh, work better if you know more about the part. So now we, we finished the, the, the big questions. I want to conclude this very, I hope it was dynamic for everyone, but I want to ask each one of the guests to, uh, to do, let's say, let's go in the audience spirit of uh, stoicism. You can, you can choose your own kid. You don't need to, to choose a, a philosophy, but you can say like a, a, a final thing, one, a very short, like one sentence, a, a final message to the audience. And, and well, and please let 
people know where they can find you if you're more mostly on LinkedIn or on YouTube or X or TikTok or if you're not on social, you're a private person and they can check your, your company. Really short, so one sentence and how can they follow you and learn more from you? So let's start. Uh, who, who should I start? I, I don't, I, I lost it. So I think Odia, I, I finished. Let's start with Odia this time. Um, one sentence takeaway. Um, uh, I don't know. I think maybe kind of um, get get serious about um, about what you are doing in privacy. I don't know. I, I think I, as, as I said, I am uh, kind of not just because of this, but because of everything that's going on in the world right now. I think that, you know, I just read, I actually just read a Ryan Holiday quote and I can use that. Basically it said something like each person needs to do what they can to make the world a better place understand that the impact will be infinitesimal and take care of themselves to, as being a good human being. And I think that's a good takeaway because you want to, first of all, it's really difficult in the wake of what's going on. And, you know, Louisa and God know this better than anybody to kind of care about cookie compliance when like the world is blowing up, but you want to do what you can to do something meaningful, care about what you're, what you, what you're doing, do the best you can, and then realize that you're part of a bigger system. And um, for me, the easiest, I do some on X, but I do a lot on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Nia. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway we have is this is hard, um, but these challenges are really what makes this space so exciting, right? And, you know, so jump in, dive in, and um, let's, you know, work together to try to solve these, you know, gnarly problems. And if you'd like to know more about how you can leverage technology um, to help your company identify, communicate, and fix privacy issues, um, in your app more effectively and efficiently. You can learn more about my product checks on our website at checks.google.com. Thank you, Nia. And Gal? Love it. Uh, so my takeaway is uh, investing in the single source of data truth within the company, really understanding what we're dealing with as a company, whether it's the systems or the data. I think this is the, the true pillar to unlock any other thing uh, on top of it. So invest in that, invest in automation. Uh, you can find me on Clubhouse. No, I'm kidding. I don't know if this is really exists <laughs> anymore, but uh, I'm. you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter uh, or in mineos.ai. This is our website. Um, thank you. Thank you. So my short take off topic. So invest in personal growth. Personal growth will come after, will come before personal uh, professional growth. So yeah, health, uh, work-life balance, uh, do things that you love. It will help you be inspired for your privacy journey. Um, you can find me. I don't know where you can find me. Okay, everybody knows. Okay, LinkedIn, X, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter, louisasnewsletter.com, to be notified of the next live events and receive the weekly emails about privacy tech and why. And if you want to dive deeper, we have now a four-week boot camp on privacy tech and AI. The, the January uh, cohort sold out, so now we have the February one. So write to me if you're interested, get in touch with, I, I can uh, send you the link and I'll tell you uh, how you can register. Thank you so much for uh, everyone for joining. Uh, I'm so happy to see the chat. I forgot to say in the beginning that 
uh, it's always nice to have the, the chat busy and I didn't need to say anything and people already started introducing themselves and, and being polite and sharing resources. So that's the privacy community. It's always like that. And, and I, I see sometimes online on X, other communities fighting and, and being not, not so, so cool to each other, but privacy, the privacy community is amazing and strong and is very helpful and nice with each other. So I'm, I'm happy to see. Thank you, Odia, Nia, and Gal. It was a pleasure to have you here. So I think the, 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 the advices, the resources, everything that you said, it's so important. And it's going so far. Those that did not watch live, it's, it's recorded. And I'm going to upload on my YouTube channel and podcast soon, and maybe this week. And thank you so much. I see you in the next live talks. Bye-bye.